Hello and welcome to the Use Because podcast. Deeper learning from the best business minds to have ever put pen to paper. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin is the focus of this week's episode. The book is called Extreme Ownership. And the reason that it's called Extreme Ownership is because that's what they really focus on is that ensuring that you as an individual take responsibility for everything that your team does regardless of whether it was technically your fault or not it's your fault or it's uh it's your responsibility to fix whatever issues uh, come up so to give you the background on the book extreme ownership is a book written by two navy seals one in fact was a navy seal commander jocko willink was the navy seal commander which means that he wasn't just a Navy SEAL, he trained the Navy SEALs as well. And what they've done in this book is they've talked about time, and actually I should say the, the other the co-author is Leif Babin, who was a second in command in, in the Navy SEAL team. And what they've done is they've taken their experiences in Iraq in a place called Ramadi, which was a, uh, a stronghold of the Taliban, I believe, or Al-Qaeda, or both. And uh, they were... They were posted there and they had an awful lot of uh, interactions, let's say, with uh, with these bad guys, as they call them. And what they've done is they've broken their leadership principles down into chapter headings, which we'll go through. And they've started each chapter with a story about something that happened in Ramadi. And then they've talked about what the principle is and then they talk about how to apply it to business. So it's an amazing way to, to take something that is could probably not be more far removed from a business scenario um war-torn iraq but understanding that people are people leadership is leadership it doesn't really matter whether it is happening in a boardroom or on a battlefield and that's kind of their point here so the book is called extreme ownership because what they're talking about is is ensuring that you take responsibility for everything that happens that you well we'll get into it in more detail but that is actually the name of the first chapter is extreme ownership is that you even as a project manager you're responsible for every failure so one of the things one of the stories they tell at the the very beginning of the of the book was about a mission that the that Jocko's team had in Ramadi and everything went wrong uh, everybody made the wrong decisions um uh, you know and obviously it's going to be chaos anyway when you're out in the battlefield and there's bullets and, and missiles whizzing around everywhere but even with that understanding still things went wrong and Jocko was in uh, in a, a little bit of trouble with his uh, s- s- the people he reported it because this mission had gone so wrong and they wanted a debrief they wanted to know why everything went so wrong so he started to gather up information from all of the people on his team as to the wrong decisions that were made, the miscommunications that happened. And as he was gathering all this information, he realized something that he he could easily go into the debrief with his senior commanders and say, well, these are all the things that happened. This particular guy didn't do this right and this didn't happen and so on and so forth. But he had this really kind of impressive realization that was all his fault if somebody made the wrong decision or somebody if something was miscommunicated or something was misunderstood that's on him because it's all his team it's all his um responsibility which is a a difficult thing to really internalize for some people i i believe because i if if you're reporting to me and i tell you to do x y and z and you do 
A, B and C instead. I could say, well, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to do X, Y and Z, but now you're actually doing it completely backwards. There's a, there's a part of my brain that says, well, you should be responsible for your work. If you didn't understand it, you should have told me. But what Jocko Willing's point is that extreme ownership, if, you, if you're going to accept this concept of extreme, extreme ownership, it's all on me. It's my fault that you didn't do X, Y and Z. Because I didn't com- either. I didn't communicate it correctly to you. I didn't explain the uh, the context of why it had to be done this particular way and why we were uh, what we were trying to achieve. So if I tell you to do X, Y, and Z, but you did A, B, and C, that's on me. This is the idea of extreme ownership. That no matter what happens, if your team don't perform, that's your fault. If your team do the wrong thing, that's your fault. If your team misunderstands something, that's your fault. If your team are too afraid to ask questions or they didn't think to ask questions, that's on you. So once you understand extreme ownership or if you kind of internalize the idea of extreme ownership, it becomes an awful lot easier to uh, to run a team effectively. So when Jocko Willink had this, this realization of extreme ownership that everything that went wrong in this particular mission was his fault. He went into the debriefing and kind of blindsided his senior commanders because they expected him to say, well, this individual did this wrong, this individual, and these are all the reasons why the mission failed or the mission didn't go to plan. But he didn't. He went into the debrief, which was with the team, his own team, the people that report to him and his senior commanders, and he ran the meeting and he said, what happened? What went wrong? And each individual started to say, well, I got this wrong and I didn't understand this and I made the wrong decision here. And every time somebody gave an answer as to why the mission went wrong, Jocko said, no, that's not why it went wrong. And he'd ask the next person, the next person, the next person. And eventually said, the reason it went wrong, the reason this mission didn't go to plan is my fault. It's all on me because I'm your leader. Anything that you didn't understand, anything that was confusing or anything that you didn't understand the significance of, it's on me. And because of that, then he was actually able to save his job, he believes. And uh, what was born from that then was, was I suppose, he, put, he was able to put edges on what leadership should be. It should really be about extreme ownership. It's about making sure that you are responsible for everything that happens in your team. So then he tells a story about so what the, the two authors have done. The reason they wrote this book a few years ago was that they left the Navy SEALs and they set up a consultancy business to take these ideas and put them to businesses to to you know take the same principles of of extreme ownership and put them to businesses and kind of you know enable them or empower them to to implement the same concepts or principles in their businesses so he tells a story then about a company that was trying to you know do what all companies are trying to do increase productivity and increase efficiency increase profits all that good stuff the companies try to do but the problem was that uh, the CEO wasn't taking ownership for why these particular projects weren't working. And so it was all going, you know, not particularly well. And Jocko's point was to the CEO, you have to take ownership. If the, if the, if there's no uptake on, on why you're trying to increase productivity or why the bonus structure has changed, if people don't understand that, that's on you as CEO. You have to make sure that people feel comfortable coming to you and asking questions. Second chapter, then he talks about uh, there's no bad teams, only bad leaders, and he talks. It's real. This is a really interesting. Um, I'd say psychologists would would enjoy um, 
doing this kind of experiment but he tells this really interesting story about when they were training SEAL teams and I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a is it called Hell Week and it's also called Buds I think which is um, you know a week where they will weed out the people who are not fit to be Navy SEALs because they don't have the you know the physical stamina or the mental stamina seems to be the bigger thing but you know it's things like uh, you know two hours sleep over three days and they're hiking everywhere and um, holding logs above their head in the in the while well, sitting in the waves of the ocean all that kind of stuff so they were training a particular group of, of potential navy seals and they broke them down into boat teams and um, so as in like they had like a raft that they had to uh you know perform particular tasks and so some of the tasks might have been they'd have to get the boat from the beach out to a particular point in the ocean and um, everyone get out of the boat flip the boat over and um, everyone gets back into the boat and come back to the beach that kind of thing and they had six teams and what was happening was that uh there was there were just numbered like one to six both team two uh, were doing brilliantly and team six were doing terribly and every time they they spoke to the, the and what happened actually as well is that there was leaders in each particular boat so somebody's put in charge of you know being the team leader both team two were doing fantastically six were doing terribly and every time they spoke to the team leader in team six he was you know pointing the finger of blame saying well they're not you know paying attention they're not you know pulling together and so on and so forth so what they decided to do uh jocko willink and and and, and Leff, was they decided to swap the team leaders so they swapped team two leadership with the team six leadership and as you can probably imagine what happened was team six who'd been been last in all of these activities started to climb up the leaderboard and then they started to compete with actually with team two and it was a massive, massive lesson for the leader, the original leader in the in the Team Six boat. He was all the time blaming the team, blaming uh, uh, their equipment, uh, their lack of luck, all of those kinds of things. He was blaming. But once the leadership got swapped out, as in the leader from Team Two got put onto the onto boat six, and boat six then immediately started to improve. The original leader had no choice but to realise that it was his fault. That there are no such thing as bad teams, only bad leaders. And he tells a story then, and he kind of relates this then in, in the, the business section of this chapter. He tells a story about a CTO, a chief technical officer, who refused to take ownership of, uh, of a new system they were trying to implement, if I remember correctly. They were trying to implement a new system, new uh, piece of software wasn't going to plan CTO would not take responsibility no matter how much Jocko and left talk to him he just would not uh, take responsibility and they come up with this idea of a tortured genius this guy who and and no matter it just there was no way through to this guy and as far as he was concerned he was this tortured genius who had all these brilliant ideas but people just would not pay attention people just would not do what he was saying but wouldn't take responsibility for it for how he was communicating these ideas and it's it comes back to that idea of of nlp where there's no such thing as failure only feedback if something isn't working if you're trying to implement something in your team and it's not going to plan the team are just you know they're not they haven't bought into it they don't understand it it's um it's it's not giving the 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 results you're expecting you have to take ownership for that. There's no, you haven't failed. It's just feedback. What I'm putting out to the team is not working, so I'm going to try something else and see if that works. But this CTO in this uh, particular company they were talking to just wouldn't listen. Would not take 
ownership of it. So that's something you can think about, is how to spot these tortured geniuses, right? These, these people who everything is somebody else's fault. So what they talk about as well, another great takeaway from this particular chapter, is that good leadership is not about what you preach. It's about what you will tolerate. So if you think about what you will tolerate, think about that guy who was originally leading that, that Team 6 boat, boat Team 6, who were finishing last all the time. He was tolerating that. He was tolerating probably infighting. He was probably tolerating um, everyone trying to work for themselves and uh, rather than working as a team. It's not what you preach. It's what you will tolerate. And that's a great takeaway from that. Like if So if I'm the CEO of that company where the CTO is not... Uh, accepting responsibility I can talk all day about what I'll about what should happen but ultimately it comes down to what I will tolerate if I tolerate him being this tortured genius or this uh, what I've heard before explained as a, as a brilliant asshole right that person who is just brilliant at their individual job but they're terrible at actually leading a team ultimately that's bad for the for the organization so decisions have to be made and, and the decision was taken there so the CTO was uh, looking for new opportunities let's say so chapter 3 then talks about understanding uh, well chapter 3 is called believe and chapter 3 is about understanding that you have to know why it's the plan right why is this the plan why is this the thing that we have to do and, he t- and, and Jocko tells a story about when they were going out on their missions in Iraq, in Ramadi, they were obviously they're, they're Navy SEALs. They are the the best of the best, right? They are they've got the best equipment, the best training, um, the best physical and mental endurance, all of those things. And when they were going out on these very very dangerous missions, their their senior commanders told them, "You have to take some Iraqi soldiers with you." Now, obviously, the Navy SEALs were thinking, well, these guys, they don't even have proper uniforms, let alone proper training or uh, or or weapons. They don't they're, they're not to their level. So they're more likely to uh, to cause the mission to fail and they're more likely to to put the Navy SEALs in danger by making bad decisions. So Jocko was initially dead set against taking these Iraqi soldiers with him until he realized the why behind behind this mission why did we have to bring these iraqi soldiers with us and the reason they had to bring the iraqi soldiers with them is that who's going to do it eventually right if we don't start training up these iraqi soldiers we're going to be here forever we're going to have to be running these missions ourselves forever we want to go back home that was the point that he was making in this book that we want to go back home if we don't get these iraqi soldiers up to speed and up to our level, or at least approaching our level, we're going to be doing this forever. So once he understood himself what the reason was, he was able to then convey that to the team. And he didn't just tell the team. What he did is he asked probing questions of his own teams of why do we, why do you think we need to bring these Iraqi soldiers with us? What happens in 18 months or 10 years from now if we haven't trained up the people of this country to look after themselves? What will happen? And his team were then obviously able to answer, well, we'll still be here doing it. So, and again, he talks then more about the the business side of this, like of understanding, uh, of, of, ma- of making sure that the team understand why 
whatever whatever decision has been made, why that decision has been taken. And he tells the story about a new compensation plan of a particular company they were working with. And nobody understood it. But the CEO, as far as she was concerned, the CEO was she had decided that she had an open door policy that anyone can come and ask me questions at any time. But that was from her point of view. From the from the staff's point of view, from the employee's point of view, they were too afraid to ask questions. But she had no idea about that. So she she assumed that when she introduced this new compensation uh, structure, right, a new way for people to earn bonuses, whether it was in sales or whatever, she assumed that if she just put that out there, that it was obvious as to why this was the new compensation structure. But it turned out when Jocko went and asked the employees, they were afraid to go and ask the, the CEO questions because she was still the boss. No matter how much of a of a, an open-door policy you think you might have, you have to make sure it's a safe environment where people can actually go and ask those questions. So um, because people didn't understand the new structure, they didn't buy into it. So there's actually two things there to, to, to get from that particular chapter that first just because you think you have an open door policy doesn't necessarily mean that the people who are outside your door are going to come in and ask questions right you have to one thing i used to do this is probably i don't know how how applicable this is to the business world probably isn't at all but the the concept is i think when i was a teacher i used to teach um, maths and physics many years ago 100 years ago i used to teach those into secondary school kids and what i used to because i knew the kids didn't want to ask the stupid question right I, or what they would think would be a stupid question so what i would do is i would say all right at the end of class for five or ten minutes you see if you can catch me out on what we did today ask me questions and see if see how well i know the stuff and that would give them permission to ask what they might think was a stupid question so that they could all get the answers so although you're not necessarily going to do that with a uh, with a team of grown-ups right you can still take that idea to create an environment where they they feel comfortable asking you questions and once they're comfortable asking questions and you know i've heard it before when people have, have taught things as well where at the end of a particular section of a, of a meeting or a particular section of like something like this where it's a new uh, new concept or new uh, compensation structure i've heard people say things like i assume you've no questions about that so uh, let's move on to the next section right that okay well uh, in your head you're thinking well, i did have a question but i guess we're not asking questions then i always think that when you're running meetings and when you are uh, introducing these new concepts you have to give people time to think of questions and one of the things you can do as well is that before you start a particular section of a presentation before you start the actual pre- that section you can say something like i'll expect this is this is a, a new concept a new a new uh, structure I'll expect questions from you at the end of this section. So as we're going through this, think about the questions you might want to ask or you might want clarity on. So that's kind of priming them that, you know, I'm not just going to blindside you with uh, asking you what your questions are at the end. You prime them at the start of the particular section or, or or the meeting and say, I assume you'll have questions at the end, so think of them as we go. Go through whatever you're going to go through, whatever section you're going to go through, whatever the new compensation package is or the new structure or whatever. And then give time for people to think about their questions, to actually formulate their questions. Be comfortable in the silence. It's like, uh, they call it the golden silence when they talk about sales. When 
I'm kind of getting off the point here, but I'll, I'll pull it back right to what I'm talking about. In sales, they talk about the golden silence. And the golden silence is when somebody is making their buying decision. And the best salespeople will allow that silence to happen. The best salespeople will be comfortable in that uncomfortable silence where the particular, let's say you're selling a car or something and you've had a back and forth with the customer and they stand there and they're saying nothing and you're saying nothing and the the impulse is to kind of you know fill the silence with just more features and benefits and you know but it it takes real practice to kind of sit into that silence and just allow it to happen and it's the same thing when you're doing a presentation or introducing something new to your team is to allow that silence to happen so that people can formulate their answers sorry formulate their questions and a thing I read recently about what Tim Cook does, the, the uh, CEO of Apple, uh, what he does is he allows that silence to go on and on and on. He doesn't fill the silence. He lets it get excruciating until somebody else on the team fills it with a question or a comment. So it puts pressure on, on the team in a good way, I think, to allow them to, to, to fill that silence. So pulling it back to what we're talking about here is that when it comes to trying to explain new compensation structure to your team as as is the example in the book what you want to do is you want to explain what it is and then leave that silence and tell them that i will expect questions about this it's only then that they can ask their questions so that they can understand the why why is this the new structure and once they understand why it's the new structure uh, they begin to internalize it and begin to understand that this is going to work to their benefit and so on. And then it's only then that people will start to uh, to buy into what you've what you've suggested or what you're you're putting forward. So that's chapter three. It's about believing, understanding the why. Chapter four then is called check the ego. And this reminds me. As soon as I read this, this reminded me of um, another um, book that we did a podcast on called Legacy. It's about the All Blacks. Check the Ego in this book is the same as the the first chapter in Legacy, which is called Sweep the Sheds. And it's the exact same thing. And this is one of the reasons I started this podcast and used Because Really in, in the first place is because all of the books, I'm looking at a whole bookshelf here of books, all of those books, they all overlap, right? Whether it's leadership, sales, negotiation, um, uh, personal confidence, whatever the thing is all of these books they overlap and they all they all have different takes on the same topic in this case leadership but you'll see overlaps so on sweep the sheds or i should say in legacy they talk about sweeping the sheds that the uh, the leaders are never too big to do the small things and it's the same thing they talk about here in this book check the ego right check the ego means that that just because you're the leader doesn't mean that you uh, know everything that there is to know. Just because you've got the most experience on the team doesn't necessarily mean that you have. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're privy to all of the knowledge, all of the all of the information that you need. And he tells the story about a business situation that he helped a guy get through. So this guy was a leader of a particular team, but one of the guys who was reporting to this leader had way more experience and was actually way more of an expert in this particular area of expertise. But the guy made a decision uh, from his own point of view, this guy with all the experience, he made a decision 
that was probably right from his point of view but from the wider team's view uh it it caused all sorts of problems basically right it's it's um it doesn't really matter what the problem was but basically the leader of the team didn't know what to do because the guy was way more experienced and uh, didn't know how to handle it, didn't know how to speak to somebody who was probably older with 20 years more experience. And Jocko Willink's advice to this guy was that, to, first of all, check your ego. Just because you're the leader doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you're the, the, the best or the most intelligent or whatever it is. But the other guy needs to understand how his decision impacted the rest of the team so you can't go to this guy who has way more experience and say you shouldn't have done this and you shouldn't have done that what you do is you check your ego and you say look i made a mistake here um i didn't explain to you the importance that we follow this particular procedure i didn't explain it to you that uh how what you do impacts the, the wider team so it's on me uh, you made that decision because of your experience and your expertise but in actual fact that's caused this other issue further down the line that you had no idea about and that's my fault and this is what extreme ownership is really about it's about making sure that you are um it's about making sure that you're humble enough uh to do to 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 take responsibility and humble enough to bow down to somebody who's more experienced and I, I i guess it kind of overlaps with that first chapter in legacy by james Kerr uh, called sweep the sheds and just to to recap what that is if you haven't listened to that episode it's about the all blacks and how they uh, cultivate this uh, this aura of leadership and, and humility in their team one of the things they do after all of their matches whether they win lose or draw is they have a a debrief with the whole team right so all the the press and the politicians and the politicians kids all that all get their photographs and autographs and whatever it is that they want and they leave and then it's the, the core team and the management staff the coaching staff and uh, they have a debrief about the match what went right what went wrong then all the players leave except for the senior players and the senior players clean the dressing room they sweep up they uh, tidy everything away because they're never too big to do the small things there's another book um called the captain class which we did a uh a podcast on as well and that's about how it's a, it's a great book about about teams but but sports teams and and how they what makes a sport team great and what is it about the particular captain and a captain isn't necessarily or a leader in this case isn't necessarily what you would think it is and they talk about in that book about carrying the water that the the leader will do the thankless jobs the leader will do the the uh the jobs that people don't even notice it's like it's like as a leader, you, will, you, will you do the right thing when nobody is looking? That's kind of what they're talking about as well. So, um, like I say, all of these books, they, they, they overlap in, in certain ways. So, um, that's chapter four, so check the ego. Chapter five then is to cover and move, which sounds a bit, um, uh, it's very alpha, I think, very, uh, cover and move. Uh, in a war situation, I suppose that is, um, is uh well okay well i'll explain what cover and move means in the Na- navy seals from what i've read in the book what, what it means is that if they're in a tight situation and they're being pinned down by gunfire what they'll do is and you've seen it in, in movies the whole time um heat supposedly is a great example when they're escaping from the after robbing the bank um supposedly that's a perfect example of, of cover and move but the idea is that one person um shoots their gun at the at the bad guys 
and the other person runs and then they swap they swap uh, roles. The, the guy who just ran to the new position, he shoots his gun at the bad guys and the next guy moves, right? Cover and move. And in business, and this is this is something that you wish you could just hammer home to everybody. In business, what they mean by cover and move or how they kind of uh, relate this to, to, to business is that the HR department are not the problem, right? Other departments are not the problem. You're all on the same team. The it's an opportunity to build relationships with other departments. It's an opportunity to understand what their restrictions are. And again, this is what extreme ownership is about. If you're if you're part of a team that is reliant on another team doing their job so that you can do your job and they haven't got their job done, it's all well and good to say that they're the they're the, the enemy and you know they're causing us um, problems and so on. That's one way of doing it. Another way to do it is to actually understand what their restrictions are why if they missed the deadline and to take ownership if they didn't understand the importance of of um of how we all succeed but if you do your job i'll be able to do my job if they don't understand the importance of deadlines and that kind of thing you take ownership of that you make sure that you understand or that, sorry that they understand uh the importance of all working together so I think that was a great way of putting it in the book. The HR department are not the problem. The way I think about it, and I talked about this before in um, Never Split the Difference, uh, a book by, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Chris Voss is the, is the author's name of Never Split the Difference. It's about negotiation and getting to yes is another book we did as well on, on negotiation. But the idea of of a good negotiator isn't me against you the same way that in your company it isn't your department or your team against another team in negotiations the same it's not me against you it's me and you together shoulder to shoulder like two supreme court judges looking at a particular case trying to solve it so we're all in this together right it's what um chris voss calls a uh, tactical empathy to, to to be able to use empathy to understand the other person's point of view so chapter five is about cover and move. Chapter six is called simple. And simple is making sure, that, and, and we've all seen this, you think you've written an email that is as simple as can be, right? Uh, I've explained what's supposed to happen and why it's supposed to happen, but um, it's there's still mistakes, there's still miscommunications. Simplify your message. It's like um, what the Americans call a game of telephone, where you know when kids sit in a circle, and you say, uh, you give a phrase or a word to one kid and they whisper it to the next kid and to the next kid and the next kid and the next kid. And you see if you can get that word all the way around or that phrase all the way around the circle without, um, without it being distorted. And it's a, great, it's a great game to understand how miscommunication happens, where somebody mishears something or, uh, or something is misinterpreted. It's the same thing with communication. So the communication must be simple and easily transferable up and down the chain of command so the story they give was a uh, uh, for business was a particular company there was like three or four people on a team and that was their job to come put a new um, bonus structure for uh, for the staff they were making widgets or whatever they were making and it was so complex and, and so convoluted that nobody could understand it so when they went and presented it to the employees who would be earning these bonuses they couldn't make head nor tail of it and because they couldn't make head nor tail they were annoyed and they were demotivated even though the, the team who'd come up with the bonus structure it, everything they had done was very very 
it was it was they go into it in detail in the book it was actually very basically they'd, they'd weighted all the different widgets from different uh from month to month you know um uh and quality of these widgets and so on so that they were able to understand they're supposed to be able to understand what they should be focusing on month to month and but like i said it got very convoluted and nobody could understand it and if nobody could understand it then nobody's going to implement it the way i think about it is uh jokes and stories you know when you're in 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 the pub and somebody tells you a story and uh later on maybe a week later you're in work and you tell the same story but you might not you won't tell that story word for word you'll remember the most important parts of that story so that you get the essence of the story correct and tell and kind of put your own spin on it then the person you tell it to in work maybe they go home and tell it to their husband or their wife and they'll do the same thing they'll take the most important parts of the story and they'll create their own uh, their own version of it around that but the most important part of the story or the joke or whatever it is that's what survives same thing with memes same thing with genes right same thing with uh, evolution so basically what evolution is but that is the most important part or the most useful part to survive uh, the iterations of the story or the joke or the uh, genetics as it were and that's what he's talking about in this book um, when he talked about communication it has to be simple and easily transferable from individual to individual so in the business story that he tells this bonus structure was so complex and convoluted nobody could understand it so nobody was able to tell it nobody was able to explain it to anybody else chapter seven um actually I should, sorry with chapter six obviously make sure that you're your communication one of the best things you can do when i when i time I've, I've taught people is uh after you've explained it to something so, something to somebody get them to explain it to somebody else in front of you okay now you teach him each one teach one is what it's called and if you can teach to somebody else you you probably have a pretty good understanding of it it's only when you go to say it out loud to somebody else it's you go hang on wait have i got that right and then you have to come back and check is that what you meant and then it's an opportunity for you to simplify your message so on your team that's something that might seem a little bit patronizing but to ensure that you're that what you've communicated to your team is understood okay you explain it back to me what did i just say to you about um, what's going to happen does everyone else understand that okay good good to move on that kind of thing chapter seven then prioritize and execute we've all been overwhelmed what to do next and work and what can happen is uh you can get so overwhelmed at what the next thing is you're supposed to do is that uh you freeze and you do nothing right you feel overwhelmed so one of the ways and again this is it can kind of seem like a truism like where um if you're overwhelmed the advice is don't be overwhelmed right that that seems a bit kind of ridiculous but it's kind of what they're saying but the way they say it is much better the the navy seals have some great little phrases great little things that they say uh to remind themselves in the heat of battle what to do next right one of the things that they talk about when it comes to prioritize and execute as in what's the most and i've talked about this before on the podcast about ruthless prioritization what's the next thing that can kill me take care of that but what they say in the navy seals here is to relax look around make a call i think that's a, i think that's just it's 
so easily and again that comes back to like what they talk about in chapter six easy straightforward transferable communication relax look around make a call so ruthless prioritization is essentially about that okay what's the next thing what's the next thing i have to do have a look around make a call just do the, do the next thing uh, another thing he says which is i suppose is easier easier said than done is to avoid overwhelm stay ahead by a step or two of the real-time problem so your job as a leader is to kind of try and guess what's what's likely to cause an issue further down the line um but like i said easier said than done and he also makes the point that and again i've talked about this as well the map is not the territory right that you could uh, in nlp and neurolinguistic programming they talk about the map is not the territory it's called a presupposition it's a kind of like a, a rule for life if you like the map is not the territory means that you could look at a map of how to climb mount everest and that might tell you the route to take and you know what the elevation is going to be and and so on but that doesn't tell you about the territory when you actually get there on that day what the weather is going to be like what if you lose a glove what if you have a headache what that's the territory that's like the 3d version of the 2d map and he kind of says the same thing here in this prioritize and execute that you might have a plan for for how a particular project is going to go or how it's going to be managed but you have to be you have to be able to allow things to change for things to be fluid it's okay for priorities to shift and the most important thing today might not be the most important thing tomorrow so don't get fixated on it chapter eight decentralized command again this is something this is probably this is probably new to me uh newish um i hadn't really heard this before and i do like this idea decentralized command is the idea that uh any individual can really only be responsible for six to ten people after that you're going to get into miscommunications you're going to get into uh just being overwhelmed by people asking you questions again easier said than done but decentralized command means empowering other people on your team either officially or unofficially uh if you're if you're managing a team of 50 you're you're not really you should be only managing a team of five and each of those five people is managing a team of whatever's left nine <laughs> i think am i doing maths uh, live on a podcast whatever's left you split them up the idea is that you communicate to your your uh, sub team leaders if you like and then they 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 uh, communicate then to their to their pods if you like whatever it is that they're the people that that uh their sub teams if you like i really like that idea because uh you're empowering people to uh, and again another book did i i can't remember the book but there is a book we've done a podcast on where i said that part of leadership is to make new leaders it isn't to um be the gatekeeper of the power and of the leadership but is to uh, make new leaders you should be empowering people to make new leaders i heard it from a, a boss of mine years ago that your job as a leader is to replace yourself is to delegate all of your work to the point where you don't have anything else left to do right that's how you get promoted that's how you get moved on is to is to push your not to offload all of your work but to empower other people and uh, to take on as much as they can so that and that's where that's where fulfillment comes in your job as well is 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 when you feel empowered to be able to make decisions and that's the talk if it's good enough for the navy seals it's good enough for your team um selling whatever you're selling or, or doing whatever you're doing uh delegate right think about how you're going to delegate how you're going to decentralize command chapter nine then is about uh planning and again not an awful, an awful lot to say here uh 
other than paperwork can sometimes be a real drag and a real bore but paperwork is important because that's what that's what gives you the plan to fall back on when priorities shift when uh, you start climbing mount everest and you lose your glove right what do you do then you fall back onto the plan what did the plan say so you have to successfully brief the team and the way you successfully brief your team is through simple communication and uh, having it, having them explain it back to you ultimately chapter 10 then is uh but leading up and down the chain of command you've ever had that experience in your job where your boss keeps asking you stupid questions and you're going what how am i answering this question again like extreme ownership according to Jocko Willink and Leif Babin is ensuring that your your senior commanders your the people that you report to have the information that they need right everybody has to report to somebody even the CEO of a company has to report to the shareholders or report to uh, the other stakeholders in the company whoever it is everybody has to report to somebody so if you're if your manager the person you're you're reporting into is asking you questions then you need to take extreme ownership of that and say right well if they're continuously asking me these questions then i haven't been providing enough of the information that they need whether it's for their own reports or you know they have to kick it up the chain of command as well so take ownership for that as well ensure that you are giving your leaders what they need to do their job so don't take offense when somebody keeps asking you questions or don't roll your eyes think about it from the point of view okay well strategically i haven't given them what they need if i haven't given them what they need then that's on me right that's a, another another great way to understand uh, what leadership is all about is that, and that kind of culminates what extreme ownership the book is all about is making sure that at every every possible opportunity you take responsibility for for everything that goes wrong in your team basically so let's summarize it all real quick before we finish up uh, leading a team to success means that you take responsibility for each and every one of its failures right you have to make sure that you are um, taking ownership of everything to do with your team and if you don't if you don't take ownership for the things that go wrong in your team what that does to your team is it infects the team with the idea that it's okay to pass the book which is what you don't want. If you're going to successfully execute your mission or your project, whatever the thing is, you have to understand its importance. You're 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 a cog in a in a bigger system, right? Which is true of, of all teams and of everybody. Don't be afraid to ask for clarity. If you're not if you're not sure why this is the mission, ask why. Why is this the mission? Why are we doing it this way? If you understand why something is happening, then you're more likely to uh, to get into it yourself, to be able to internalize it yourself and then be able to pass it on to your team as well. Uh, your allies are, are not the competition, right? The other departments are not your competition. HR are not the problem. If you're going to remain effective under pressure, you have to have clear priorities and act on them, right? Uh, prioritize and execute. Um, the, and, and also don't, don't be afraid to, to let your priorities shift and change as, as needed which is kind of an art form in itself plan for success means comprehensively identifying and mitigating risks ahead of time 
easier said than done but that's what your plan is for is to help you see what's likely to go wrong with this uh, where the bottlenecks likely to be and in business it could be something as simple as well somebody that i need information from is going to be on uh on parental leave for a month right so i need to make sure that i have some way to mitigate that risk that our project doesn't get sidelined because um a key a key stakeholder is uh, is out of the office or is, is not available um the last thing then rather than resenting the interference from your your higher ups uh use it to understand how i can provide them more information that they'll need um so that they can ask me less questions and they they and i'm seen as a good leader in in their eyes which is um which is important for everybody and that's it that is extreme ownership by jocko willink and uh lef babin great book i say it all the time of course um i wouldn't do it unless it was a great book wouldn't do a podcast on it unless it was a great book so uh, and that's it so go to usebecause.com and check out the action log that goes along with this episode if you want to go deeper and get more use because.com find the podcast on the uh, on the podcast page and you'll see the toolkit you can actually get a month for free with the toolkit the toolkit is going to give you an interactive one-page summary of this podcast so you don't have to uh, memorize everything and the second it's going to give you is a is an action log where you can go and deliberately practice the key takeaways from this book and the third thing is going to give you once you've done all that is a certificate of completion to show whoever you want to show that you've taken the key content from this book and deliberately practice it okay so until next time thanks very much for tuning in tell two people you know about usebecause.com thanks